everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here continuing with our Big Ten previews. Today's team is Rod's number five team, the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, thank you to all who support the show via one-time gifts through PayPal or Venmo or on a recurring monthly basis on Patreon or Substack. Of particular uh, thanks are the those who support us on Patreon at the Cleves level, Bill Church, Brian O'Donnell, Chad Hickey. Those are the Draymond Green level, Adam Walzak, Dan Rankin, Doug Robinson, James Benton, Jim L., Michael Bosnick, Paul Marsh, and Scott Driscoll. And of course, all of you support us at the Scott Skiles level. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Reminder that if you are a supporter at the Patreon or Substack level on a monthly basis, you do qualify for our monthly drawing for Nudge gift cards. And so uh, you can head on over to the tiffnots.com slash support for links and more information if you want to support the show in that manner. All right, so we're going to talk about the Maryland Terrapins, obviously, today. Last season, they were 22-13 and 13 overall, 11-9 in the Big Ten, and finished 23rd in Kempom, which was, I think, a a bit of a surprise to most people because yeah. uh, at the end of the Mark Turgeon era, which was always kind of an up and down, a team that was very good many times, they just weren't able to get over the hump uh, and win the Big Ten. I think I say tied for Big Ten one year, but they were a, a team that was, I think, very frustrating to their fan base. And yeah. Mark Turgeon left, what, five or six games of the season? It was very early yeah. in the year. And then um, Kevin Willow took over and... Not a whole lot expected of them, but they were a, ended up being a very solid team and, and very competitive. They were especially competitive at home on the road, less so. Uh, they were very good, though, both ends, both offensive and defensively. They're number 36 on offense because they were a really good two-point shooting team at number 100. They also didn't turn the ball over very much at uh, number 66. Did a really great job at the free throw line getting there, number 90, which is sort of typical of former Maryland teams, though not quite as much as in the past. And uh, that all helped because they were not a very good three-point shooting team. They only shot a little under 33%, which put them at 238th. And on defense, they are just really good. They were, they were number 79 against threes, number 59 against twos, which led to them being number 32 overall. And so, unlike most of the teams we've been talking to about up to this point, most of the players that Maryland are returning. And so that's why I think that, and they've got some good recruits and a couple transfers coming in, which is why I think in general, there's a little bit more expected of this team this season versus last. Yeah. And, and let's, let's unpack some of this stuff. So first we'll talk about the coaching change. Um, Maryland is a, a, a school and a fan has a fan base that I think has very, very high expectations. And in my opinion, they are one of the Big Ten schools, one of a few that, uh, yes, their football team matters and the school cares about it to a degree, but I do, my my gut tells me they're a basketball school. Yeah. And They've got one national championship, which they won under Gary Williams a little over 20 years ago. Um, you know, the there's a lot of tradition at Maryland. The the Lefty Drizel era, Maryland had some great basketball teams that 
that their program as much as maybe any other in the 70s got hurt by the old rule that you only had one team per conference participating in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And in the ACC's case at that time, it would be the ACC tournament champion. They had some great teams that really didn't get a chance fully to show how great they really were in the way that they would in the modern era, um, where it would just be obvious that they'd be in the field with a high seed. And, you know, that didn't always happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But he still had a lot of great players, a lot of great teams. They had kind of a rough ride during the Bob Wade era. And and then they got to uh, they got to Gary Williams, who was an alum and Gary Williams, when they hired away from Ohio State, really turned that thing around, culminating in a national championship. But he had he had some very, very good teams even beyond that. And so consequently, expectations are really high in that fan base. They believe that they should be a very, very good basketball team year in, year out. It also helps that they sit right squarely in the middle of what might arguably be the best recruiting territory in the country over certainly over the last 20 years or so, the so-called DMV DC, Maryland, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, It produces an inordinate amount of talent and Maryland is the state school. Um, Yes. You would have competition from somebody like Georgetown in DC. You would have Virginia um, from Virginia (laughs) and some other ACC schools, et cetera. But, but Maryland, I I understand why their fans think, Hey, talent should not be an issue for our program. Same way that if you're a Michigan state fan, historically, maybe less so in recent years, but historically, simply because you were a powerhouse in the state of Michigan, you would feel, look, we should always have talent. It hasn't always been that easy at Maryland though, for a variety of reasons. There have been long periods where, they weren't able to get into DC, let's say, yeah. um, despite the proximity and where they weren't even necessarily as competitive in Baltimore as you would think they should be another great talent producing state. So Mark Turgeon came in with a lot of fanfare and he generally recruited well, as you said, had some very, very good teams, but that was never a good fit. Um, it just didn't work. He was under scrutiny and under pressure for underachieving the, certainly the entire time the school's been in the big Ten. He took that job a little bit prior to that, but the entire time they'd been in the big 10, that had seemed to me to be a fractious relationship. And as you said, it ended year before last where he walked away, I don't know, six games into the season, yeah, something like really, that. Yeah. So, then they go about a coaching search and what often happens in these situations is the fans believe that their program should be able to get anybody. And <laughs> yeah. that was not the case for Maryland. And frankly, these days it's not going to be the case for just about anybody because the money is so good because of television revenue at a lot of these places that Getting someone who's already proven at the high major level to leave is just about impossible unless there are other factors going on, unless they have a bad relationship with their president or their AD, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that just wasn't the case. What Maryland ended up doing is hiring Kevin Willard away from Seton Hall. 
And I guess I looked at that and I thought, well, that's an, that's a decent hire. It's not one that was causing anyone to turn cartwheels because Kevin Willard was not a sexy name. He had done a solid job at Seton hall, had gotten them to the point that they would were back to expecting NCAA tournament bids, but he hadn't won a league title. You know, there were a lot of things he hadn't done. Yeah that would get a fan base like Maryland's really excited. Like, Oh, we've got a guy who can get us back to final fours. Kevin Willard's track record didn't necessarily scream that, but I think when, you know, to me, what was realistically available, I thought it was a solid choice. And I think right now, as opposed to a year ago, if you're asking Maryland fans, how do they feel about the trajectory of the program? I would think most of them feel pretty positively about it. Because they had a solid season last year when a lot of people didn't expect it. And his recruiting seems to be on point thus far. It's early, but he's got a good class this year. He seems to be laying the groundwork for future classes. And again, as we've been talking about, even that has changed in importance because so much is is involved in the portal now Yeah, that, you know, who knows, but I think there's reason to feel optimistic and I think they should be a very good team again this year. You mentioned the performances. They were not spectacular in any one area, but they were solid in a lot of ways. And when you do that, when you're solid and you don't have many obvious weaknesses, you're probably going to end up being pretty decent. Mm -hmm. It'd be better if you were great at a few things, but you could still be pretty good if you're just good. And that, that to me is what Maryland was. I think that they've got reasonable expectations to be better this year because, as you noted, so many of their key pieces are back. And they've added a couple of guys who they think will help. So reason to be optimistic in College Park, in my opinion. What do you think it was about Mark Turgeon that just led to them not being successful? Because you look at it from a talent standpoint, he had plenty of talent. Uh, do you think it just was like on the margins, his he just wasn't as great a coach as the, as his competition. And that's what sort of was their undoing. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you have to, you have to sort of conclude that, right? Because there's no question he had, he had multiple years where you looked at the Maryland roster and it was as good as anybody in the league. Yeah. Right. Multiple times that happened. He won a share of one conference title. And even that one got tainted. That was the COVID year. That was 1920 because they were way out front, looked like an outright title was theirs, and they backed their way into it. Yeah. Thank God, because Michigan State was one of the teams that benefited from that, along with Wisconsin, I think. But um, they just faded down the stretch. So... I don't know. I, I just, I could, I could trot out the cliches and say that when push came to shove, his teams didn't seem to be very mentally tough. That that fade down the stretch in 20 would be an example of that mm -hmm. where they just, it was all there for the taking. All they had to do was win one more game and they just could do it. Um, so maybe it was that um, I will say aesthetically I never liked watching Mark Turgeon's teams because as you mentioned in passing about the emphasis on getting to the free throw line, yeah, that was just, that was a staple of Maryland basketball's fullback dives by the guards, try to draw fouls and get to the line. I'm not saying that there isn't an efficiency argument for it and that it can't work, 
What I am saying is that aesthetically, it's an atrocity to watch. <laughs> it's ugly basketball, really ugly. I mean, Mello Tremble, who was one of the the um, standard bearing players of the Turgeon era, was very effective. He was also arguably the least my least favorite player, not from Ann Arbor, uh, to watch in the Big Ten over the last twenty years. I couldn't stand watching him play. Because of the same reasons that I don't like watching James Harden play in the NBA, particularly, you know, it's, I, I get it. It's, I'm not saying it's not effective. I'm just saying, I don't want to watch a guy pump faking and drawing contact as his primary MO, <laughs> yeah. you know, if that, if that comes as a result of you being aggressive and, and getting to the rim a lot, and it just so happens you draw, that's great. That's fine. But Maryland, it was a strategic approach that they took. And I really didn't like it. Unfortunately, it kind of hung around last year. We'll, we'll see if Willard continues with that. But, um, yeah, I, Mark Turgeon seemed like a decent guy to me from the little I know. Um, so it's not that. It's just I didn't really like watching his teams play. And I think you'd have a, a tough argument saying that they weren't when push comes to shove a little bit of an underachiever. Yeah. It's interesting. And, how you, I, and teams you like can debate that. the reasons why, right? Like uh, I, that, is it a reflection of the, I don't know reflection, but is it sort of just an extension of the coach and sort of the ability to maybe they're, you know, why, why teams sort of fold on the end? Is that because a coach is not as strong and, uh, you know, mentally tough too. I don't know. When it happens with multiple groups of players, as it did at Maryland, you are kind of left with that as, you know, if you yeah. apply Occam's razor, that's, <laughs> that's where you get right. Yeah. Right. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's on him entirely, but I would say one way or the other, it is because either it's the way he's developing and preparing those players, it might be a factor, or you could say, if it's not that, if it's just inherent in those players, well, he's the one assembling that roster. Sure. And so it's on yeah. him from that perspective. Yeah. No, I think so. so either too. way, I don't think he can duck it. I feel like it's a little bit like uh, if you look at football, James Franklin at Penn State, you know, just seems to find ways to, to lose games as, as opposed yeah. to ways to win. At some point, you're like, well, I guess it's just the coach because it can't be this with complete turnover rosters. With different guys over and over. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, listen, then let's uh, head on over to the players to party and we'll start with Don Carey. So he's a 6'3 transfer from Georgetown, started all year for the Ter Terrapins. He averaged 7.4 points a game on 38, 34 and 85 shooting. Uh, he's a good solid player and it was a good addition to the team to help uh, right the ship for Maryland last season. Yeah, I mean, he helped because, you know, he was solid defensively. He was a veteran. They, they didn't make a ton of mistakes. They knew what they were getting. I think the disappointment there is they probably hoped that he would be a little more of an offensive presence, particularly as a jump shooter. Yeah. And that really didn't happen. So it's a case with him. I think it's a case of, yeah, he was a helpful player to have, but I don't think they're looking at him as just an impossibility to adequately replace. Sure. Next departure would be Patrick Emilian, 6'7", senior transfer, came over from Western Michigan, averaged 2.8 points a game and 2.8 eight rebounds a game in about 18 minutes. He shot 55, 33 and 72. And so he was just a bench presence who uh, filled a hole that in a need they had. Yeah. And, and he, he was important, which you wouldn't have necessarily assumed heading into the season. You know, they didn't have a lot of depth 
And so anybody that they had who was playable in the rotation had a value. And he was, he proved to be that. So his importance was, was there beyond the somewhat meager numbers. You know, I mean, he played 18 minutes a game, so he soaked up a lot of time. And then the one who may hurt a little bit most is Hakeem Hart. So he's departing for Villanova to finish play his COVID year. Six foot six, he averaged 11.4 points a game, which was second on the team. He shot 48, 33, and 80, pulling down a little over four rebounds a game and was second on the team in assist with an almost two to one assist to turnover ratio. Yeah, you know, good player, solid player, but he never quite had that breakthrough. I think, you know, the, the, the deal with him was always that he was supposed to be a great shooter. Yeah. And that never quite came to fruition. You know, the overall presence was solid. You know, four boards a game, you're second on the team in assists. You don't turn it over. Um, you're good at the line. You're good from two. Those are all good things. But again, is he a loss? Yes. Is he an irreplaceable loss or, or even an extremely difficult one? I don't necessarily know that that will be the case precisely because he never quite managed to deliver in the area where he was supposed to be strong, which was three point shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they definitely struggled in that last year, probably partly because he wasn't what they needed. Uh, So next departure will be Ian Martinez, six foot three. He's at, he's going to be transferring to Utah state. He averaged two and a half points a game in about 18 minutes a game. He shot 45, 40, and 80, uh, which and just is a reserve guard. Yeah, and again, you know, as with uh, Emilian, you know, on a team that didn't have a lot of depth, a guy who played 18 minutes and was reasonably efficient, is that a loss? Yeah, it was. Uh, and I don't think they wanted to lose him. But, uh, you know, huge, a huge producer he was not. Right. And the next departure would be Ike Cornish, 6'6 freshman, played very little in the season, played about 21 games, averaging a little over, under one and a half points a game, transferring to University of Ohio. Uh, you know, th- there were, again, several of these guys um, just didn't do very much. And so this is going to be the standard going forward, right? Yeah. You're going to look every year for most teams in the Big Ten at the end of their bench, and you're going to see a few of those guys depart. Yeah. And that, which, yeah, just like the next player, Arnaud Rivez, right? He played seven games as a freshman. He's ended up transferring to Weaver State. Yep. And then Pablo uh, Zubia played mm-hmm. six games last year as a freshman, didn't score, transferred to high point. So you put all three of those guys together. Here's the thing about it. The downside is, as a coach, you would like to have you know, four-year guys or five-year guys in your program. Right. Because sometimes, you know, everybody is unique. Sometimes a guy might take till his third year in the program to really figure it out. But the way things are now, you're not getting those guys to stick around that long in many instances. So that part of the development equation is gone. And so what you have to do instead is you've got to connect on taking players from other schools right? who you hope will be able to fill that role. And that's do that's doable. It'll happen. It'll work sometimes, but I would think it's maybe a little less predictable. And I would think it's a little less enjoyable for a coach 
you know, but this is just the lay of the land and Maryland's not unique. You know, a lot of programs are going to lose those guys. Yeah. I mean, we've gone over this. This is what our 10th team that we talked about the big 10 and we see this yeah. pattern you know, over and over. Right. Yeah. You see a lot of this. Yeah. It is interesting that you have these, it seems like you have two pathways. You have the ones who come to the large power five schools they last one or two years, they leave and go to a mid-major. And the ones that are mid-majors for three or four years, and then they go to the Power Fives to sort of replace it. And so that, like you said, that developmental process doesn't take place really almost anywhere in some respects. I mean, if anything, maybe it does happen the mid-majors and they go to go to the Power Fives, but the actually developing someone who's maybe a little bit uh, less than recruit or someone who is not ready to play right away, they really aren't, they're not really making it through the, through most of these team systems. You know, I think if if you want to maintain guys like that on your roster, there, there's there are certain things you have to do, and, and many coaches are not going to be willing to do that. One is to be brutally honest with people as you're recruiting them and then once they're there. And, and then in addition to that, make sure it's understood, hey, there's a plan in place here, mm-hmm. right. you know? We don't see you as a failure because you didn't break through as a freshman. And if you stick with it, we think you can develop. You know, look, Michigan State has by and large not had this happen. You had you had one year where Foster Lawyer and Thomas Kithier um, and, uh, and I guess Julius Marble yeah. all left. Each of those was a unique situation. I would not acquire all three of those guys, by the way, played. They were in the rotation, so it wasn't even like this. Right. But they were all unique situations. Other than that, Michigan State has not lost. I mean, you look at it last year. Guys like in a lot of other places, would a Trey Holloman have looked around? Because, hey, not only is everybody in front of him coming back, but he's got a McDonald's All-American coming in <laughs> alongside him. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trey Holloman didn't go anywhere. You know, Michigan State has these three bigs. And, you know, if you were Carson Cooper or you were Jackson Kohler at another place in an equivalent situation, would you look at it and say, eh, I'm going to get out of here and find a place where I can get a guaranteed 25 a night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's happening a lot. It hasn't happened to Michigan State. That's not to say it won't ever. But it hasn't happened thus far, and I think it's because Tom Izzo has a very unique program, and he has a very unique status. I don't know that Kevin Willard, as nice a job as he did, can have the same level of credibility with these guys if, in fact, he wanted to retain them. Well, and that's the I other don't thing, know that right? he did. Yeah, that. Yeah, there's that too. There's that that I think you know that the unspoken part about the transfer portal, and I think you know Tom Izzo bemoans the transfer and how these guys go in the portal and they can't find a spot, and then. You know they don't they don't have to lose their scholarship. I mean, there were eight hundred players, I think, that this uh, or something like that who didn't find a place to land this uh, off season. But there probably are a number of those eight hundred or whatever who were in you know many ways forced out by their coach, right? I think you know you have I don't know who that is, but I'm guessing that that happens to that side of the equation as well. And so uh, you know that's that's another sort of ugly part about this portal process as well. Not to say again that. We think that people should be go where they want to go and they should be, have the ability to move around, but just the reality of sort of how the process works and just, you know, they're- it's, it's like just about everything else in life. There are positives and there are negatives. The fact that there are negatives that exist is not a sufficient reason for it not to happen, but it's also worth pointing out. Yeah. 
Well, one thing I'd like to point out is that it was raining out here earlier today, and the one thing I did not worry about is what was going on with my gutters. <laughs> the brothers just do gutters, took care of my my problem that I had with water around my house, and now I don't have leaves piling up, I don't have you know, trees growing in my gutters, and I don't have big giant puddles that end up soaking in through the basement walls. So if you have issues like that, or worried about those issues, or you are tired of cleaning leaves out of your gutters, and it is fall, so it is definitely leaf season, and the rake is bad enough, but to, to rake your roof is not just certainly not fun. And getting on those ladders, not a good idea. So stick to the guys who, that's all they do. Those are the brothers who just do gutters. You've got Kurt and his team over on Grand Rapids and Greg and his team over in the southeast side in Metro Detroit area. They will take care of you 10% off if you mention Final Four when you get your estimate. And they will do whatever you need. They'll clean them out. They'll repair them, replace them. Whatever your gutters need, that's all they do. So they specialize it and they will do fantastic work in just about any weather outside of like a thunderstorm. So again, the Brothers Just Gutters, you can find the contact information at our website or under the uh, podcast player that you're using right now. So let's talk about returning players. And first and foremost, of course, is Jameer Young, six foot one point guard. I think he played he played with uh, Hunter Dickinson in uh, in high school. He, he did. He transferred last year and averaged 15.8 points a game, 42, 31, 83 shooting. Also, 4.6 rebounds a game, led the team in assists. He was a dynamic player. He was easily their leader, and I think he was a very pleasant surprise for Maryland. And he's largely, uh, or in large part, the reason they were so successful last year and made the NCAA tournament, I think. I would agree with that because he gave them that presence at a key position. Um, there are a lot of people who believe he's the best returning point guard in the conference. I I think that's a close battle and a, a consistent AJ Hogard, I would probably give an edge mm -hmm. and I'm biased, but I, but, but it's close, you know, young did a lot of things really, really well. Uh, the one thing he didn't do well is shoot the three 31% is not good enough. Yeah. They, they, he, they could stand to see him develop more consistency. He also, He's a dynamic player, not necessarily always an extremely efficient one. He makes a lot of mistakes. It's not crazy high, but he makes more turnovers than they would like. So if he can tighten those two things up, if he can cut down on the turnovers, be a little more efficient with the jumper and keep everything else in line, you know, you're talking about a first team, all big 10 caliber player. Um, he's that he makes that level of an impact and he's clearly a key, key guy for them and getting him back, deciding to take his COVID year rather than move on with his life and leave college basketball, big, big positive from at that moment. I think that's when it was cemented that, okay, Maryland's going to be an upper tier big 10 team, at least in the way they're perceived heading into the season. Yeah. I mean, you, you just suspect if, if he didn't return, you're going to have him down three or four spots, wouldn't you guess? It would, it, it, yeah, probably, yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, so next key returner uh, player is Julian Reese, six foot ten junior. He was a really good player. He averaged eleven point four points a game, and seven point two rebounds a game, along with a block a game. Sixty three percent from the floor, uh, but only fifty three percent from the line. And so, uh, I mean, again, a good positive player and uh, someone who looks to probably get a lot better this year as well. Yeah. And I'm not surprised. I mean, to me, it was fairly obvious in his freshman year, even though it wasn't a good year for the team, 
and he played like a lot of freshman bigs. He was inconsistent. But to me, it was very obvious to see, okay, this is, you know, Maryland's had a run uh, the latter stages of Turgeon's era into last year where they had a lot of good big men. You think about, I mean, you go back to, um, what was his name? The kid from Wisconsin, Diamond, uh, Diamond Smith, big man they yeah. had. I was very highly regarded. Then they had um, no Diamond Stone, sorry. That's and then they had Sticks, Stick Smith, Sticks Smith, who was yeah, really yeah. good NBA player. Bruno Fernando, really good NBA player. Reese is the next in that line, and I think he will be better. I mean, the numbers were very solid. He's very good around the rim, as you say. The free throw shooting has got to get better. He's also got to figure out how to stay out of foul trouble. Also, a common problem for young bigs. Mm-hmm. That was an issue for him at times. He was a little too aggressive, not always playing smart basketball defensively, and that cost him and cost his team. But I I see no reason that he's not going to continue to get better. Next departing or sorry, returning player is Dante Scott, six foot seven. Uh, he's coming back for his COVID year as well. There was some question about that earlier in the season, or after the season ended, I should say. He averaged 11.3 points a game and six rebounds a game, shot 39, 31, and 78. Real versatile four-man, and uh, again, you know, aside from the outside shooting not being great, uh, good return for the Terrapins. Yeah, he's. It, it was critical that he came back because you're talking about a proven player who can help them in a lot of different ways. I mean, there have been times he's even been a small ball five for Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, but having him as the four, alongside Reese. That's a big, big positive. I really like Dante Scott and I've been disappointed that he struggled with the shooting the last two years, because if you go back to that, uh, the COVID year, 2021, he was great shooting the ball from distance. And that made him almost an impossible cover because he actually, for a big man handles the ball very well. So he can face people up and go past them. And if they have to extend out and guard him on the line, it makes it even easier for him to do that. Good finisher around the rim. He's a very good passer. You can run offense through him. Um, I think even if he's largely the same guy he was last year, he still helps them a lot, uh, combining him with Reese on the interior. But I think there's reason to hold out some hope that he could be better in some important ways because he's shown it before. Yeah, I always wonder, is that, is that just a reflection of the defense is guarding him differently this the last couple of Some, years? Or is it just that he... Could be that, or it could be just, you know, he got on a hot roll as a sophomore and he's kind of come back to who he actually is. That's possible. Um, you never know. Yeah. But, I, but when you've done it over the course of a season once, it suggests that at least there's the the chance that it happens again. Yeah. I don't remember if he got injured at any point. I don't think so. So no, not really explain it to Yeah. Uh, so next returning player, Jahari long, six foot five senior uh, transferred with, uh, along with Willard uh, from Seton hall. He averaged 22.1 points a game on 41, 40 and 62 shooting better than a two to one assisted turnover ratio. Uh, and only averaged a little over 10 minutes a game last year. Yeah. I think his role is going to grow a bit because got Hart Martinez gone. Right. Um, I suspect he'll be in a reserve role, but I would think he'll play more than 10 minutes. You know, he's good size. He shot well in limited volume, doesn't make a lot of mistakes and he's reliable defensively. And on top of all that, Willard knows him very well because he also coached him at Seton Hall. 
So, yeah, I would expect to see Jahari Long firmly in that rotation. Which brings us to six foot six sophomore Noah Bachelor, who averaged 1.6 points a game on 28, 26, and 58 shooting. And uh, so, you know, as he moves further along in his career, see if he certainly if his shooting can improve. I imagine his role as a, as a perimeter will improve as, as well. That's it. I think, you know, he showed some things as a freshman, but uh, a lot of ground to cover to get to the point that he would be a reliable guy. But I, I don't rule out that he finds his way into the rotation if he finds a higher level of consistency. And finally, for returning players, big man, 6'11 sophomore, Caleb Swanton Roger, averaged a little under one point a game and one rebound a game in 21 games last season, playing only four minutes a game. Uh, look, the size is there. And he's got a year under his belt, um, but we'll see how far along his development has come physically and in terms of skills. That'll determine if he fits in the rotation. You know, he's he's got some competition for minutes behind uh, behind Julian Reese, uh, but he does have the advantage of having played some last year. So we'll see how the development's gone. So let's move on to the newcomers for the team. We'll start with Chance Stevens, six three junior transfer from Loyola Marymount. He averaged six points a game on 36, 37, and 74 shooting in 17 minutes a game. And I think the hope is that he could add some deep shooting punch to a team that really needs it. You know, we said that was the one big weakness, sub 33% as a team from three, finished number 238 in the country. They need a boost there. And Stevens was a guy I think they thought, even though you wouldn't expect him to play major, major minutes, could be a designated shooter to give you, you know, 12, 15 minutes a night. Uh, problem is he suffered a knee injury this summer and at a minimum, he's going to miss significant time and it's, it's possible he misses the entirety of the season. So I don't think they're counting on him at this stage. Right. <laughs> uh, next player would be Jordan Geronimo, six, six senior transfer from Indiana. We talked about a couple episodes ago. He averaged 4.2 points and 2.4 rebounds a game on 55, 26 and 62 shooting for the Hoosiers. Yeah, this was a good get for Maryland, you know, and it's it's not because Geronimo has been a star to date. He hasn't, but the numbers are decent. And yet in watching him for a few years now, my feeling has always been there's much, much more in there just waiting to get unlocked. Yes, because you're talking about a wing who's very strong physically, very good athlete. He's got a seven foot wingspan, so you could even potentially play him as a small ball five if you if you absolutely needed to. Um, I think he could play on the wing. I think he definitely play at the four. As I say, maybe even minutes here or there as a small ball five. Um, what needs to happen for Maryland is that he unlocks that level of consistency. His career at Indiana, I think, was largely marked by great performances followed by ones in which he disappear. Yep. He never found that reliability, that level of reliability that you'd like to have. It would also help if he was better jump shooting, but they can, he can still be effective. Even if he shoots the three exactly the same way as he did last year, he just needs to, that energy level needs to be consistently there. The motor needs to be revved up. And if it is, this is a guy who can really help you. I suspect it's going to be as a reserve, but I wouldn't rule out that he could push for a starting role. I just think with, with uh, 
Scott and Reese on the inside, it's harder for me to imagine Geronimo starting because I don't know that they'd feel great about starting him on the wing. But I also don't rule it out entirely either. He's going to play a lot regardless. This is one of those interesting cases where, you know, he's a fourth year senior, uh, yet he'll get a COVID year if he wants. And I mean, and then I guess actually he would be able yeah. to transfer again if he wanted to as a grad transfer. But could he or, might they, be can, getting or two, they can get two years. Yeah, out exactly. Of might get two years yeah. out of Maryland. Uh, next, next returning or sorry, new coming player is uh, Matty Troy, six eleven transfer from New Mexico State, averaging one point four points a game in just seven games. But obviously, as we say many times, you can't coach six eleven. That's right, and this is where the competition will be between he and uh, Swanton Roger for that backup spot behind Reese. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be one of the two, likely not both. Uh, he didn't play a lot and. That was at a lesser program, but they brought him in for a reason. Right. I think he has potential. So we'll see how, if he makes good on that. Yeah, certainly. I'm, I'm sure they, they're probably thinking, well, one of these two guys is going to emerge as a, as a reasonable backup to uh, Reese. Yep. Next newcomer, Deshaun Harris-Smith, top 50 recruit, six foot five wing. Uh, hoping is that he can maybe compete for a starting role. Versatile and uh, offensively, you know, this team does need some help. And so they're hoping he can help them in that way. I think a lot of people would tell you that he has a chance to be the most impactful freshman in the league. And that's a combination of what he is as a player and the roster opportunity that Maryland presents. Because there is a chance for him to step right in to that spot Hakeem Hart occupied and be a starter on the wing. And in fact, I expect that to happen. Uh, the word on Harris Smith is he's very versatile and complete offensively, good ball handler and passer, decent perimeter shooter. That's the one thing you hear he needs to make strides in, but I would expect that, uh, he's going to play a lot. I think he'll start. And they also think he can rebound and defend well at that position. So if all that comes to pass, you could see why people would look at him and say, well, yeah, this has this guy has a chance to be as impactful as any freshman in the league because it's it's talent meeting opportunity. I also feel like at least it seems like most years you there are about four or five candidates and you don't know which one is going to be the one who's going to be, be really impactful in the Big Ten. Right. Like, you know, with from freshman standpoint, for sure. You haven't seen him play in against actual, you know, Big Ten t- uh, defenses. But it's, that's that's definitely true. And it's also, I, I do stress this, it's opportunity is mm-hmm. oftentimes as big a part of the equation as talent. So you look at Michigan State this year, for example, which we're going to turn to in a later episode, obviously. I happen to think that Jeremy Fears probably is as good, quote unquote, as any freshman in the league. In terms of his talent level, his maturity, his ability to play well at an impactful position, all of those things. But he is not likely to have the opportunity to do the kind of things that Harris Smith will because of Michigan State's roster. There is not a hole there. Right. If A.J. Hogard was gone, I'd be singing a different tune. But So it's both of these things combining, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the advantage that someone like Harris Smith has. But you're right. There's always a group of people, and you never know for sure how it's going to play out with freshmen. Uh, if you look at, if you look at last season, 
a pretty good argument, I guess, that at least in terms of production, Bryce Sensabaugh was probably the best freshman in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could argue with uh, uh, Hood Chafino. I guess you could argue with Howard. You know, there's a couple of other guys. But Sensabaugh was a guy who wasn't getting a lot of hype outside of Ohio State circles mm-hmm. coming yep. into the season, and yet you saw what he did. So, But but I expect we're going to be talking about Harris Smith as a name in that category. So another newcomer, another uh, freshman wing, Jamie Kaiser, six foot six, also a top 100 recruit, former football player. So he's obviously strong and um, athletic. So uh, I guess the expectation is he's going to be making an impact as well on the team this season. For sure. The, the question about him, again, how long does it take his jumper to translate? But they love the way he thinks the game. They love his physical tools. And I would expect that he's going to be in the rotation very solidly and might be another guy who's capable of pushing for a starting role before it's all said and done. You know, if you if you look you look at Maryland, uh, the wings are are open. Mm-hmm. I think Lawn and Bachelor are going to be in that mix. Maybe Geronimo, and then you've got these these freshmen, and so there's an opportunity for Kaiser again. If not as a starter, I can't imagine he's not going to play a lot. Next player will be Jahathan Lamoth, uh, six foot four freshman from Baltimore. And uh, again, another player who may have an immediate impact into the rotation. Yeah, not quite as highly regarded as the first two, but they like him a lot. They like his frame and his strength, so they think he can hang in the Big Ten immediately. And another guy, you look at you say, yeah, it should be in the rotation somewhere, and maybe he pushes for a spot. The big difference between him and the first two freshmen we've mentioned is that Lamothi's rep is as a shooter. Like They think he his shot can translate early. And again, we've talked about Maryland struggling from that area. If he comes in and he can legitimately hit perimeter jumpers, well, there's a pretty <laughs> clear reason to play him. Yeah, for sure. And finally, for the last newcomer is Braden Pierce, seven foot three, from IMG, and native of Georgia. And uh, that's that's where Zagidi played, right? Was an IMG, and he was. Yep. <laughs> same same story, maybe, huh? Yeah, uh, you wonder how he didn't end up at Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it's a very similar story to Edie in a lot of ways. He's got strength already. Hasn't been playing basketball that long after he gave up baseball. Well, that's a Zach Eady story. Yeah. Now, I'm not predicting this kid ever turns into Zach Eady, but it's just interesting to mention. I don't think he's likely to play this year. He really seems to me like a develop a classic developmental ad where if you're Willard, you look at the tools. You can't teach 7-3. He also doesn't have to add a lot of good weight. He seems to be physically strong enough where that part's there. So you take a flyer on him, and you take some time, You try to develop him and see what you've got, but I don't think it's going to be an immediate returns on this. I, especially given how many bigs they have, there's no need to force him into minutes. Let's put it this way. If he plays at all, it's because he's ahead of schedule, not because they had to. Or massive depletion of injuries, I suppose would be the other option, but that, well, that would be the, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. But be the exception that that's always the case. I suppose (laughs) you start looking at the end of the bench sometimes. Uh, So then, just a quick reminder, if you want to support the show, a great way to do that is to go to one of our best sponsors. That's Nudge Printing, Michigan State branded company that run by Gabe and Brittany, both MSU alums working out of Portland, Michigan. 
where all the stuff is locally produced. Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. They can get all the kind of Spartan apparel you need for your tailgating or for your MSU needs. Also, other Michigan schools. So any other school in Michigan, they've got almost every other school in Michigan, they have t-shirts and and sweatshirts outside of the University of Michigan. Someone else can do that. Those guys aren't going to touch it. Uh, So you can go check out Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. You won't be you won't be upset. You'll be very satisfied with the product. Super high quality. My family loves them. Nudgeprinting.com, 20% off if you mention Final Four at checkout on the coupon code. All right, so finally going to uh, Michigan, or Michigan to Maryland and just talking about them in general. I think we expect them to be as good as last year and probably with the parts that they've added and they didn't lose a whole lot, expectations that they can be a little bit better. And so... I don't yep. know that they're good enough probably to compete for the Big Ten. But then last year, you know, certainly didn't see Northwestern coming. So, you know, anything's possible, I suppose. It, it is. But I think if you're handicapping at this point, you look at Maryland and you think this should be another very good team. They don't stack up on paper with Michigan State and Purdue. I, I think it is clear cut that Michigan State and Purdue are the two teams you look at as separating from the field. Mm-hmm. But could Maryland potentially surpass anybody else? Yes. I've got them behind a couple of other teams, but it's close. I would say this, having a point guard and two bigs back as vet proven veteran producers is a big deal. Yeah. If those guys stay healthy and they play at the level we expect them to, that's a big deal. And that's part of, a big part of the reason why I have Maryland where I do. I also think this team at least on paper, looks to potentially be significantly deeper than they were last year. Depth was a problem, particularly inside. Well, look at what you've added now. You've added three true freshmen that they figure can play right away. That helps. Then you add Jordan Geronimo, who was a guy firmly in the rotation and another quality, you know, decent, solid Big Ten program in Indiana. And then in addition to that, you have a veteran in Jahari Lone who played a lot last year. It seems capable of giving you more. And a couple of other younger guys in Bachelor and Swanton Roger who got their feet wet last year and who you can, I think, reasonably expect have a chance to be better. So it looks to me like they could go from being a very shallow team in terms of their bench to one where you can you can see a nine-man rotation pretty easily. You know, and that could be a big positive. Uh, I think it's reasonable that this team is good defensively again. Uh, I think that the areas where they were strong offensively a year ago, it's reasonable to expect that those will still be solid. The one big what if that I think could swing their season some is how they shoot the three. Mm-hmm. It was a real problem last year. If they could be even a little bit better and then maintain everything else, that's a better team for sure. And I think it's an open question as to how realistic it is that they're, that they do that because they're, they're don't, it's not like they brought in, Oh God, they added three 40% plus guys right, from right. the portal. Yeah. They didn't do that. Their two best freshmen are guys that everybody loves, but the knock on both of them is consistency with the jumper, right? Mm-hmm. Jordan Geronimo, a guy who looks like a really good portal addition as a veteran presence, has never really shot the jumper very well. So th- there's 
it's not like you look at that team and say, well, yeah, obviously they're going to be better from three. I don't think that's obvious, but if it does happen, then you've really got something. Then you're talking about, you know, maybe this team is good enough to finish third and maybe get something like a, you know, a five seed or four seed even in the tournament. You know, I think, I think that's the upside for Maryland, but I, I think even if that doesn't happen, this should still be a pretty competitive team again. I mean, just looking over this roster, the one hole or concern I had would have looking at it as a Maryland fan is the point guard. There's really not much beyond. I mean, there's not really anybody beyond That's true. Behind Jameer Young, right? You haven't recruited Very anyone. Very true. And you're almost looking next year to bring in a freshman or a portal edition. Yeah, very true. And, but this is just, <laughs> unfortunately, in a lot of programs, this is going to be how college basketball is. You're going to be turning the keys over to your offense with frequency, and it's going to be less common. You know, you look at Maryland under Turgeon, an example is Mellow Trimble was a three-year guy, I think, and then Anthony Cowan was a four-year guy. Yeah. So they had a long stretch where they had the equation more or less the way I think you ideally want it. And it's, it's just not easy. You got to find those guys and not only find them, but retain them. Yeah. Keep them in your system. And that's easier said than done. But at least for this year, point guard shouldn't be a problem unless God forbid injuries hit. Yeah. Well, they also have to compete with Illinois who will forever be on the market for point guard. I feel like every season at this, at this point, uh, all right. So just a quick reminder that if you've not already started thinking about it, there is a beat rod contest one through 14. You have to predict the final standings in the big 10 based on how they seed them for the big 10 tournament. Make sure you get those entries into me before the first big 10 game is played in December. So you just find that at Eric, E-R-I-C at T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S.com. Make sure you put your name. And the tiebreaker is how many points Michigan State scores against Michigan. So get those in before the first Big Ten game. Winner gets some really cool nudge printing gear. And uh, speaking of which, I guess I'd also mention that if you want to leave a written review on one of your podcast players, which helps the algorithms find us and other Spartan fans uh, find the show, please take a screenshot of that, send it to me, get that same email address, and you can get a $5 gift card to nudge printing. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Thank you.